0: We're going to begin reading in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 10. You follow along as I read out loud. The writer says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, that shadow, the old law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consequence or consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. Now drop down to verse 10. By that will we have been sanctified. through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which can never take away sins. But when Christ without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. Let me ask you this morning a question. When you got up and started getting ready for church this morning, did you think about coming to church and offering a lamb, a bull, or a goat as an animal sacrifices? Oh, we got to get to church so we can sacrifice an animal to God. Why didn't you think about that? Why wasn't that on your mind? Do you even know why we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore? All that stuff in the Old Testament about sacrifices, why don't we do it? Have you thought about that? To understand what's being talked about here in Hebrews chapter 10 we need to spend just a moment talking about the context. The background of what is talked about was the old system of laws in the Old Testament. That old system can be found especially in Leviticus. Page after page, have you read this? Page after page of instructions of what you're to do, how you're to live. For example, what do you do after you sin? What offerings are you to bring after you sin? You turn the page. What am I supposed to do after I touch a dead body? What am I supposed to do if I find mold in my house? What do I do if I find a rash on my arm? Page after page of regulations that talk about purity. How we're to live. Endless regulations about this or that. But that old system, by its very nature, spoke to its imperfection. Because year after year, day after day, the priests would continue to offer sacrifices. And what did they know? When they came to that one day where they offered the sin for the atonement, on the Day of Atonement, they would do that every year, one day of the year. What did they know when they were offering the sacrifices on this Day of Atonement? They knew, you know what, we're going to be back here next year doing it all over again. Because that was the nature of the way it worked. The old system served a useful purpose, but it was never intended to be the end. If you keep taking your car back to the shop to be worked on again and again and again, you wouldn't say that your car is being fixed. There's a problem here. Well, year after year, day after day, they had to keep coming back and offering more sacrifices because this was not the final solution. But there's one important part of the old system that we want to look at for just a moment. And that is where the high priest would go into the holiest place once a year to offer that sacrifice. He would go into the innermost chamber called the Holy of Holies. And he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. But he was the only person who could go into that room. And then he could only do it once a year. All the other ministries that the priests did were outside that Holy of Holies. Just once a year, that one sacrifice would be offered. But the writer wants us to know something important has happened. Look at the text again. Verse 11. Hebrews 10, 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12 begins with the word but. That's huge. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 12. See that? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice. To picture this distinction that the writer is making, he gives us two images. The first is the priests who are standing, he says, and continually offering sacrifices. Contrasted with Jesus, who offers a sacrifice of himself one time and sits down. Why did Jesus sit down? Because there was no more work to be done. What he did, finished it. It was done. Many people don't understand why we don't do animal sacrifices any longer. Did we just decide one day, you know what, we're not going to do them anymore. Too bloody. We don't need that. Look at verse 1, chapter 10. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never... By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Make perfect those who draw near. Did you see what it said about Jesus though? He made one sacrifice and we're perfected. The old law, the old system could never do it. But it was what? It says it was a shadow. It was a picture. It was an image in the Old Testament of what was to come. The Old Testament, the old system was never intended to be the final word from God. That's why we, all the way back in chapter 1 in Hebrews, remember, we're told that God in these last days has spoken finally by His Son. The old system has passed away. There's no need, verse 18, for these sacrifices. No need, no longer any offering for that, because there's been forgiveness. That's why we have the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That testament simply means covenant. We had an old covenant, the old system, that was just a shadow of the new. Why don't we offer sacrifices? Because we're not under the old covenant anymore. We're under the new in Christ. With the coming of Jesus, the old covenant has been replaced with something better. The old rules, the the dietary laws, all of those purity rules of the Old Testament, they've been done away with. No, don't go there. The moral law of God, don't lie, don't kill, right? Put God first. God's moral law is still in place and it will never change. But the ceremonial law, the religious law, that external of the sacrifices and the purity laws, right? How many of you abandon your house when you find mold? I don't. I grab the mold cleaner and I start spraying it. Okay? But in the Old Testament, if you were a Jew, you had to abandon the house and get it cleaned up and then have the priest come by and declare it clean before you could move back in. I'd be in trouble, just telling you. Okay? That old system is gone. It's been fulfilled. It no longer applies to us today. Verse 13 of chapter 8 says that the old law is obsolete. Jesus has done all that needs to be done for us us to be right with God. And that's the theology that I want you to see today. That's why this is important. Jesus has done everything that we need to be made right with God. That's why we talk about the finished work of Christ on the cross. What does it mean when we say it's the finished work? Remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? It is finished. Something new has come and Jesus has completed it once and done. Jesus paid the price for us to have that right relationship with God. And that's why the writer makes reference in verse 17 to the fulfillment of the prophecy where God said, I will remember their sins no more. Not year after year, the continual reminder. That's what would happen. Every time the sacrifice would be offered, you'd be reminded of your sins. God says, after Christ comes, I'm not going to remember their sins anymore. Once and done. That's the fulfillment of what Isaiah said. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. We are washed clean in Christ. Completely clean. White, not Battleship Gray, white. And in Christ, nothing stands between us and God. Now let's talk about our feelings for a minute. We talked about our conscience last week. Have you ever been just going along and all of a sudden you start feeling guilty? Your conscience starts bothering you. About something from years and years ago in your past. It's something that you've prayed and asked God to forgive you of. You've trusted Christ with your life. You've received salvation. But something just happens where your conscience just begins to to bother you about something way back when. What do we do with that? Jesus' death on the cross means that our sins have been paid in full. There is no place for us to have a guilty conscience when our sins are forgiven. But what happens is sometimes our conscience fails to get that message that our sins are forgiven. Sometimes we still feel guilty over past sins that God has forgiven. But when we study the books like Hebrews, it's a good reminder to us that once God has forgiven something, it's forgiven. And it stays forgiven. Ever had people in your life, I know I've had people in my life like this, you'll do something and they'll forgive you, And they'll keep forgiving you and keep forgiving you because every time you turn around, they're reminding you, but I forgave you, right? I don't think you did, (laughs) right? God, when He forgives us, He forgives us. It's gone. It's done with. Our conscience, though, sometimes forgets that, and it starts bothering us. Even though God isn't holding it against us, our conscience sometimes troubles us. At that point, we need to tell our conscience to take a long walk off a short pier. Because it's not doing us any favors at that point. If we've done what God says that we're supposed to do to get our sins forgiven, then we are to walk in that forgiveness. We're not to walk around feeling guilty over forgiven sins. Verse 14. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected what? For all time. How long is that? If we are in Christ, we have been forgiven for all time. That's forever and ever. Not just until God changes his mind. Jesus didn't suffer and die on the cross to pay for our sins so we could walk around feeling guilty all the time. Our conscience should only bother us when we're in sin right now. Listen, if you're not living right right now, then your conscience should bother you. But it shouldn't be bothering you over past sins that have been forgiven. If we are walking in sin in our daily lives, then we ought to feel guilty. We ought to feel bad about that because it is wrong. But once we've committed our lives to Christ, there is no need for a guilty conscience. And we need to put it away and walk in forgiveness. But what does this truth that Jesus died once for all, what is that supposed to do for us? How is that supposed to affect us? Why does it matter? This truth that Jesus died one time for all time has important implications in how we are to live our lives today. Let me give you four quickly. Number one, this idea, this truth that Jesus died once for all to forgive our sins for all time. That means that we need to stop doing or trying to do what Jesus has already done for us. Listen to me, God has been fully satisfied in Christ, not partially fully satisfied in Christ. If Jesus paid for our sins in full, what more is needed? And yet many of us run around and we're trying to make up for our sins. We'll do something bad and then we'll try to do something good to make up for it. But if we believe that we have to do anything to receive forgiveness other than trusting Jesus' death on the cross, we are saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. we got to do something else. No, we need to stop trying to do what Jesus has already done for us. Nothing more is needed. That means when we sin... We don't need to pray any rosaries. We don't need to say a lot of Hail Marys. Why? Because Jesus' death on the cross once for all has paid for our sin. We don't have to do any penance to earn forgiveness. Nothing more is needed. There's nothing that we can do to attract God's mercy to ourselves. We can't become more a child of God than we already are. Sometimes people will say to me and they'll say, Pastor, you must be racking up some really good points with God because you're a minister. They don't know me, obviously, right? But I like to remind them, No, I need Christ just like everyone else. Amen? I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm not saved because I'm a minister. I'm saved because of the grace of God that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ in dying on the cross for us. Some Christians get caught up. Have you seen these? They get caught up in the old laws. Have you seen Christians who try to keep the Sabbath? They don't worship on Sunday. They worship on Saturday because they say, Oh, the old law tells us that we're supposed to be worshiping on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Or they'll start trying to follow the dietary laws. And they'll often try to get other Christians. Oh, God never said that these things don't apply to us. And so they try to get other Christians involved in keeping the old law. But the old system, the writer of Hebrews tells us, was just a shadow of the system that was coming. This is just a picture of... Why would you go back to the shadow when the reality has come? The Old Testament was pointing to Christ. Now that Christ is here, why would you go back to the old way? It's kind of like if you're gone on a long trip and you send your lover a letter while you're gone and she just reads it day after day because she misses you so much and then you come home and you try to talk to her, hold on, I want to go get that letter and read the letter. Why would you do that? I'm right here. Why would you want to go back to the old letter that was good while it was in, in effect? But the reality is here. Why would we go back to the old system when Jesus is here? Why would we go back to that which is made obsolete? The question for you today is, are you trying consciously or subconsciously to make yourself more acceptable to God? Are you trying to do anything in your life to make God love you more? Because in Christ, we are absolutely, totally, completely accepted. Amen. And there's nothing that we can do that God says, oh, I love you more. Because you did this. Or I won't forgive you until you do that. Our forgiveness has been paid for in Christ. And it's important for us to stop trying to do what Jesus has already done. Number two. When you think about this. This truth that Jesus has died once for all. So that we can be forgiven for all time. It has huge implications for our worship. Think about it. You came in here today and God loves you just as much as if you'd stayed home. You didn't get any points by coming to church. You didn't come in here and say, oh, I hope to get right with God so that he'll accept me. You came in here saying, I am already accepted in Christ. We don't come in here and hope that God will accept us. We come in here and worship knowing that God has already accepted us. And so instead of coming in here trembling, we come in here and worship God and say, Thank you, God, for doing for me what I could never do for myself. Not partially, not mostly, but completely. Now I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. If you are in Christ, this is not true to everyone in this room. What I'm about to say is only true for those of you who are in Christ. You've committed yourself to Him and you're living for Christ. Every sin that you have ever committed is already forgiven in Christ. Do you believe that? Every sin that you've ever committed... Is already forgiven in Christ. Part two. Every sin that you're committing right now. Is already forgiven in Christ. Every sin that you might commit. Every sin that you will commit in the future. Is already forgiven in Christ. Christ. There's nothing we can do to sin ourselves out of relationship with God. To where God says, Yep, you're not my child anymore. That's it, I'm done with you. We are in Christ and we are forever in Christ. And God is not going from seeing us forgiven to seeing us with sin to seeing us forgiven to seeing. He doesn't go. He sees us in Christ as forgiven. Once And done. And when we come in here, we worship God. Not because I'm good enough. I worship God because I'm not good. But God has made me good in Christ. Amen? Does that not warm your heart and make you want to sing praises to God for what He has done? This free salvation offered at no cost to us. Jesus paid the price. But we often come in here feeling like God's mad at us because we sinned. No, we shouldn't have sinned. And God can be disappointed in us. But God is never mad at us where He won't talk to us because, well, you didn't do what's right. That's the way we are. But that's not the way God is. God has forgiven us in Christ and He isn't mad at us when we sin. God doesn't push us away. When we fail him. Our hope today is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ. Who did it all for us. Once and for all. That's why I asked Marcus to sing that song during the offertory this morning. Did he do a good job? That's a hymn. Literally, I have that tucked in the back of my Bible. That is my favorite hymn of all time. And I'm not kidding here. I want that sung at my funeral. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Does that not give you goosebumps? When you think about that that it's enough that Jesus died. I'm not going to stand before God and offer God anything. I'm going to point to Jesus. That's it right there. That's what I'm trusting. That and that alone for my salvation. And when we come in here to worship God, we worship the God who's done what we couldn't do for ourselves. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. We sing songs like, Jesus... Paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. What does that do for our worship? It causes us to sing with joy that we've been forgiven. He's made us worthy by the death of his son on the cross for us. If that doesn't cause your heart to want to worship God, you got a heart problem. And you don't need to go to the heart doctor for that one. God, thank you for saving me, for washing away my sins, and doing what I couldn't do for myself. Third, not only should we stop doing what Jesus has done for us, or trying to at least, Number two, we change our worship. Number three, it gives us a desire to get closer to God. Look at verse 22, Hebrews ten twenty-two. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How many times have we sinned and then we're afraid to come to church? We we, we feel guilty. We don't want to come to church. We don't want to draw near to God. Do you understand at that point it's it's a complete denial of our theology? Because we don't come near to God because we've lived right. We come near to God because he's made us right in Christ. Are you with me? Sin causes us to want to run away from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They ate and then when God came, they ran. They hid. But the work of Christ on the cross is precisely so we could come near to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, we have boldness because we have been forgiven. The high priest, when he would go in to the holy place before he would offer a sacrifice for all the people he had to offer a sacrifice for himself because if he wasn't pure if he wasn't clean he would be struck dead and so you got to know when he was walking into that holy place his pulse was a little bit faster his palms were a little sweaty Wanting to make sure he had done what was right so that he wouldn't be struck dead. The writer of Hebrews says, we can come boldly into the throne of grace. Why? Because we're forgiven. Once and done. We don't run away from God, we run toward God. We have a confidence this morning before God. But we need to stop and think about this. There's a problem we have today in our culture. Because we try to make everything democratic. Everybody's got to be treated equally or it's unfair. Stop and think about that for a second. In the Old Testament, the rule was very simple. One person could go into the presence of God in the holy place one time a year. Try it. Well, I don't think that's very democratic. I think I ought to be able to go in there too. Try it. And you know why God can say only one man, that man can go in here once a year? You know why God can do that? Because he's God. That's why. God didn't make a democratic rule and say, well, anybody can come in that wants to. No. God can make rules and he said only one man can do it once a year. But we don't have the old covenant anymore. It's been done away with. We can boldly go in ourselves. We don't have to have somebody go in there for us. God has opened the access so that we can get in. But guess what? God sets the rules here too. God doesn't say anybody can come in any way they want. God says if you want to come in, you can come in. But you got to do it through Christ. And you know why God can do that? Because He's God. That's why. We don't get to say, well God, you got to take me the way I come. God's a loving God. You can come any way you want. No, you can't. Just because we are under a new system doesn't mean God doesn't have rules. And the rule is we've got to come through Christ. But because we have Christ, we can go in with confidence. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would run away from God. Jesus died on the cross so we would run toward God with boldness and with confidence. Number four. Finally, this idea that Jesus has done it for us once and done is huge. Number four, it causes us to work on what still needs to be worked on. Look at verse 14. Hebrews ten fourteen says this. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is where it's important that you you use your English training. Look at the tenses. Look at the verbs. He has by this one sacrifice perfected. What is that? That is past tense. Done. Done. He has perfected for all time those people who are what? Being sanctified. What's that verb? That's present ongoing. Not past tense. In Christ we have been made perfect. But look at yourself. You aren't perfect. Anybody want to claim that? If you're sitting next to somebody who's claiming to be perfect, move away. Because when God strikes them dead, you don't want to be hit. Okay? We have been perfected in Christ, but we're not perfect. You're like, Pastor, you're confusing me. It's 1130. Don't do that. Okay? We have been made perfect in Christ so that God does not hold our sin against us. But we are still not perfect. We need to work that out. God accounts us as perfect, but we need to learn how to live perfect. Are you with me? That's what we learn from this theology. Jesus has done it once and done. All of our sins are forgiven. But that is no excuse for us to say, hey, God's forgiven my sins. I just, well, rack them up. Doesn't matter. Think of a credit card. Boy, I wish they'd create a credit card like this. What if they gave you a credit card and said, listen, whatever charges you rack up during the month, when the bill comes, it will just say paid in full. That'd be a cool credit card, wouldn't it? Now, whatever you do in the month, you rack up the charges and you're going to get the bill at the end of the month paid in full. How would you use that sucker? Well, I I wouldn't want to use it too much. Are you kidding me? UPS would have to deliver the bill. It would so many pages. Right? I'd be using that credit card for me, for you, forever. Don't worry about it. It's paid. But that's not the way we're to view our forgiveness of sin. Oh, it's paid for. Don't worry about it. Just rack up the charges. Jesus' once-and-done sacrifice makes us right with God But his goal is that we we would become holy. We we are being made that way. Jesus pays the penalty of our sins. But then God wants to conform us to the image of Christ. Why? Because we're not there yet. God has made us his children because of Christ. But our desire ought to be, I want to live out that relationship. I want to live for Christ now, because of what he's done. God's plan is to conform us to the image of Christ. Now look at your life. Look at your actions. Look at your words. Look at your attitudes. We're not like Christ yet, are we? That is not a point of defeat or discouragement. That is a point of saying, you know what, but I'm working on it. With God's help, I don't want to just rest on the finished work of Christ and say I don't have to try to get any better. I don't have to try to get any better for God to love me or for God to accept me. But boy, I sure want to get better because I love God. And I want to love him more. I want to do it better. Not because I'm afraid I won't go to heaven if I don't live right. But because I'm going to go to heaven someday and I want to be able to say, God, I did that for you. Because you did this for me. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We ain't done yet. So stop acting like it. Some of us just come in and, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Not in terms of our relationship with God, but it, it has to do with God's will for our lives. God's will is that we not stay where we were. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could just continue to sin again and again and again and not even care about it. It's not the purpose of what He's done. Yes, Jesus has died on the cross once for all, once and done. But that will do you no good if you've not committed your life to Christ. Jesus has opened the door But you still have to go through that door. And if you're not willing to commit your life to Christ, if you're not willing to surrender to him and make him your Lord, God is not going to say, well, hey, Jesus died on the cross. That's good enough. God is going to say, Jesus died on the cross and you chose not to accept it. God is not going to force heaven on us. If we choose to go away from God, if we choose to go to hell, God's going to say, that was your choice. But by God's grace, we can choose something different. We can choose to take that gift and say, I want that death on the cross to apply to me. I want Jesus to have died for my sins, to pay for my forgiveness, so that I can have new eternal life in Him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you were to die today... And stand before God. How would you answer the question? Why should God let you into his heaven? What are you trusting? What is your hope in? Saying that Jesus died on the cross for you is not enough. Jesus didn't say just believe that he died on the cross and you'll be saved. He said take up your cross and follow me. Can you point to a time in your life. Where you surrendered yourself and say, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want to believe that your death is going to affect my relationship with God. And I want to live for you. From this, Can you point to a time in your life where you've done that? If you haven't, let me challenge you to do that before it's too late. So that you might have that forgiveness of sin. So that God would never remember your sins anymore. Let's pray.